Open your Bibles with me to Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. Now, we've not already made it through to Galatians 4. That's where we're going to begin today. Galatians 4 and Isaiah 46. The book of Galatians last week was our first message, kind of an overview of the book. And if you notice our graphic, living as light. That's what Galatians is about. It's, the, the book of Galatians was written because the Apostle Paul had come and preached the gospel of grace. And someone had come in behind him and told the people that they had to do all these works. You could begin with Jesus, but you have to have all these works to make it over the finish line. And so the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Galatians to clear that up. And so we learn that salvation is only by grace, but so is service. If we're going to be light in the world, we don't have any light of our own. Amen? The only light that we have is the light of Jesus Christ. And so the only way to serve God in this world is through the power and, and, and resources that come from our Savior. And what a wonderful thing that is. We're doing one more message this morning of overview, understanding why the book of Galatians was written. Let's look at some background for the book of Galatians. So let's go to that Isaiah 46 passage, and I want you to see something. Our chapter and verse divisions in the Bible are very helpful. Amen? But because of our chapter and verse divisions and book divisions, sometimes we divide the Bible up too much. And so I want you to see something that is vital to our understanding of the book of Galatians. So Isaiah chapter 46, and look at verse 9. This is a familiar verse to us. Isaiah 46 and verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. So we are commanded by God to remember what's happened in the past. Amen? Now, as Americans... We're interested in right now and what's coming tomorrow. You know, already some of you are thinking, what are we having for lunch? That's our nature. That's who we are. We're moving ahead. Let's go. What's coming up next? Well, the Bible tells us to slow down and look at what has happened in the past. Why? Because God's there. And you can see the hand of God. Look at the next verse. Here's what God is going to do. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we focus on your word. Lord, help us to understand this book of Galatians. Help us to understand our need for it and the significance that you placed on it in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you realize that God has a plan? You know, God doesn't just wake up and say, oh, no, look what all these world leaders are doing. What am I going to do? God knew everything that was going to happen. When you look at the book of Daniel, and we're not going to take the time to go there today, in Daniel chapter 2, there is an image, and Daniel gives the interpretation of the image. And the image tells us that there are going to be four world kingdoms. There's going to be the Babylonian Empire. They're going to be comp conquered by the Persian Empire. They will be conquered by the Greek Empire, and they will be conquered by the Roman Empire. All that information is given to us in Daniel chapter 2. One of these days, we're going to study the book of Daniel, and in Daniel chapter 11, God actually gives us the information of what's going to happen between Malachi and Matthew. 
That's pretty cool. So God has had a plan all through these ages. He has told us who the rulers will be, where these kingdoms will be, and when they will be. So the Babylonian Empire took place, and then in the book of Esther, we see the Persian Empire has taken over. And something that we find in the book of Esther is that the Persian Empire has taken in 127 distinct dominions. 127 distinct cultures, languages, societies were conquered by Persia and were brought under Persian rule, the rule of the Medes and the Persians, 127 of them. When you get into the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians is written about a group of people that we would know as the Gauls. How many of you have heard of Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars? Commentary on the Gallic Wars. That's talking about the people of Galatia. And so we know a lot about these people. And I want you to think about something. When the Apostle Paul is preaching the gospel from Jerusalem, now, initially, he's persecuting the church, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel, the Bible said. Then the Apostle Paul gets saved. By the time we get to Acts chapter 13, they're in Antioch. And between Antioch and Jerusalem, they're sending out missionaries. The Apostle Paul, Paul and Barnabas, go from Jerusalem west. And they go into, one in their, on their first missionary journey in Acts chapter 16, they come to this area where the Galatians live. Well, why are they able to preach the gospel there? Well, the Gauls were wild people. They were tall, which isn't necessarily good. They were wild, crazy, naked. They'd run around and they would all they all they had to fight with was a sword and a shield, and they would conquer everybody because they were crazy. That's the Gallic people. So when Rome finally conquered Gaul, from, from all the, going all the way back, the, the, the Gallic people, they had come into that region. They had merged with Greek culture and Greek understanding, and they had their own system of government, 195 different provinces and rulers and all of those things. But before that, they were just wild. They were superstitious. They, they would worship the stars and the changing of the seasons. They were wild people. And what happened was it came to be known that if a ruler wanted to conquer an area, he couldn't do it if he didn't have Gauls in his army. He couldn't do it. So these are the people that the Apostle Paul goes and preaches to. But there's something that we need to understand. God told us all the way back in Isaiah chapter 46 that he was going to tell, declare the end from the beginning. And he was going to tell us who the rulers were going to be in these areas. Why was it important that there would be four, only four, major ruling classes before the uh, ruling nations or, or kingdoms before the advent of Jesus Christ. Why was that important? Well, think about it. When Thomas, the Apostle Thomas, went from Jerusalem east after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he was able to preach the gospel and evangelize that entire area, just he and a handful of disciples with him, why were they able to do that? Well, because they didn't have to know 127 different languages, 127 different cultures. They didn't have to do that. They needed to know one language and go and preach the gospel in that one language. It's almost like God had a plan. It's almost like God knew what was going to happen. Look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. 
I think this stuff is so cool when you see God's hand in history like this. Look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When the fullness of time was come. Remember, if it had happened 500 years earlier, when the Apostle Paul had gone west from Jerusalem to preach the gospel, it would have taken thousands upon thousands of missionaries for each and every language, each and every culture, each and every people. But the Apostle Paul, along with Barnabas and then Silas, Timotheus, and a few others, evangelized, listen to this, Asia Minor, Europe, and Northern Africa. Just a couple of people, a handful of people were able to do that because you had Rome, you had Babylon, you had Greece, and you had Persia. Now, how many of you think that those were godly nations? No, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. We've got to understand, man is by nature envious and covetous. And man by nature is going to attack man. Well, God knew that. And so God used that to spread the gospel around the world. Isn't that awesome? But we also learned something else. I want you to go to Galatians chapter 4 with me. And let's start reading in verse... uh, Let's start reading in verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. So Paul, through all of his persecutions and all of his troubles, he was just broken down and sick. And he preached the gospel that way. I kind of felt this way last week. I preached the gospel in infirmity last Sunday. But here he is saying this. Now look at verse 14. And my temptation, which was in my flesh. Now, this this isn't my message, and we might get here when we get to, to chapter 4. I want you to think about something. How many of you understand that temptation and sin go hand in hand? Right? What the Apostle Paul just said was he had a temptation. One of his temptations was to stop serving God because of his physical infirmity. Do you know that you're supposed to serve God even when you don't feel like it? How about that? What's so interesting, as I read history now, I, I, I just read a biography of a man named William Whitsett who lived in the middle of 1800s. He died, I think, 1901, something like that, 1908. He lived his whole life sick. Malaria, tuberculosis, you know, all the... They were sick constantly in the 1800s. Imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago. We get a headache and we say, oh man, can't serve God today, I got a headache. You know, sorry, stomach's a little sick. Those people lived and functioned sick all the time. All right, so that's a different message, but I just want you to think about that. How many of you have ever said, I don't feel like serving God today? Right? That's a temptation in your flesh. We've got to overcome that through the Spirit of God. All right, so now let's read on. Verse 14. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now look at this, verse 15. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record 
that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Some people believe that the infirmity that Paul had in his flesh was bad eyesight and that these people would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to him if it would have helped him. How many of you think they loved Paul? Right? Why? Because he told them about Jesus. They, they could have eternal life. They loved him for that. But let's read on. Verse 16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And he goes on to talk about Abraham. So here's what happened. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas on his first missionary journey come to this area of the Gauls. Look at chapter 1 and verse 1. I want you to notice something. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So all of these churches that were started all over this region with these Gallic people, now the Apostle Paul is coming back into the area, and it's a mess. It is a mess. He had preached the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that you could be saved by grace alone through faith. That's what he had preached. And now they hate him. They hate him. What in the world happened? This is why the book of Galatians was written. Something that's really interesting, last week we looked at where the book of Galatians fits in your Bible, how it's the ninth book in the New Testament, and num the number nine is the number of fruit bearing all through the Bible. In John chapter 15, where we will bear fruit if we abide in Christ, the word abide is used nine times. Galatians is the ninth book of the New Testament, nine letters in the name Galatians. Uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit identified in Galatians chapter 9, there are nine specific fruits of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, nine specific gifts that are given for fruit bearing. And so we learned all of that last week. But I think there's an even more interesting aspect to the book of Galatians. Now, don't miss this. The book of Galatians is chronologically, it placed in time, the first book of your New Testament written to Christians after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book of Luke is a history book that tells us what happened in the early church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the history of Jesus Christ walking on this earth and offering His kingdom. The book of Galatians is the first book written to people like us. Those of us who have received Jesus Christ after the Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. This is the first piece of instruction that the Holy Spirit has given to us. How many of you think that might be important? Seriously. How many of you think that might be important? And what's the message? 
It's not of works. It's not of works. You're not saved by works. You're not made righteous by works. You don't get to heaven after your salvation by works. It's all of grace. That's the theme of the book of Galatians. Why did he write it first? Because the churches were already a mess. So here in Galatians... They were, had been will, here in Galatia, the people had been willing to pluck out their own eyes and give them to the Apostle Paul, but now they see the Apostle Paul as the enemy. What happened? Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Is this interesting stuff? This is amazing to me. It's a, the book of Galatians is one of the most popular books in the Bible because of the liberty that's expressed in it. How many are glad you have liberty in Christ? Amen? But it's amazing how it's misunderstood. And I'll demonstrate that to you right now. Why did they hate? Why did the people in Galatia come to hate the Apostle Paul? Why, why did he become their enemy? Now, remember the people that we're talking about. Wild people, strong people, difficult to be conquered, even more difficult to be governed. Now they're his enemy. How many of you think that might be a problem? All right. So look at what it says. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. That's why they hate him. Because he proclaimed the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. He gave them freedom. He gave them liberty. And Galatians chapters 1 and 2, it's like the Holy Spirit is just venting on people. For saying, do you not understand that there's only one way to heaven? And anything else is another gospel. So what had happened is some people had come from Jerusalem and they had told the Galatians that the Apostle Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not even a real apostle. The real apostles, the real church in Jerusalem has told us the truth. And that is that you start with Jesus Christ, but now after you're saved, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to come under the power and under the rule of Jewish law. Now, you've got to understand, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. The Apostle Paul had tried to live under the law and found that it only brought death and destruction. And he hated that. And yet now they hate him. Why? Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 again, and we'll read on. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. There's only one gospel. This is not really another gospel. Here's what it is. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, how many of you think that's strong language? It's perverted. Um, There's a problem right now. you, You see commercials about it where... There are drugs that are pharmaceuticals that are coming from China 
that are not, that they look and are labeled like the drugs that are made here in the United States, but they're not the same drug. How many of you have seen that that's a real problem? And people are dying because they're buying these drugs and they're taking them. Do you know what that is? That's perverted. They have perverted that drug. And that drug that is designed to help is now hurting and killing. That's what happened to the gospel. These people took the true and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and they perverted it. All right, so now let's read on. Verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we say again, or as we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now, this is why the book of Galatians is written. You have the gospel and everything else. There are not five different gospels. There is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith in Christ. That's the gospel. There's that, and then there's everything else. That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. And it's interesting that the first thing the Holy Spirit wanted churches to know is that there were going to be people that would come and give you another gospel. And isn't it interesting that with the clarity that God expresses the truth, in the book of Galatians. Here we are 2,000 years later and almost every church preaches another gospel. Almost every church preaches another gospel. How, how is it another gospel? What, what are we talking about with another gospel? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, it's very simple. In most churches that would call themselves Christian churches, you begin with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why they're called Christian churches. They follow Christ. But in these churches, you begin with Jesus Christ, but then there's all of this other stuff that you must do or keep or participate in in order to make it over the finish line. God hates that. Now, I want you to notice something that is very offensive to 21st century Christians. Do you know that God told us in Isaiah chapter 46 that He would declare the end from the beginning? Do you know that God knew that we in the 21st century would struggle with Galatians 1, 6 through 8? Do you know that the Holy Spirit knew that we would struggle with that? Look at Revelation chapter 3 with me. Verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert, I would thou wert cold or hot. 
So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Okay, remember what we have. These are seven churches of Asia Minor that Jesus Christ himself is addressing. Each of these churches was a literal historic church. Each of these churches had specific problems that Jesus Christ identifies. But these churches also represent periods of church history. The first, the church at Ephesus, is from the apostles through 200. Then Smyrna from 200 through 325. Then Pergamos from 325 to 500. Thyatira from 500 to, one, from 500 to 1,000. Sardis from 1,000 to 1,500. Philadelphia from 1,500 to 1,881. And then Laodicea from 1,881 until the return of Jesus Christ. He has told us and it described exactly what's going to happen in these periods of church history. We now live in the Laodicean period of church history. To each of these seven churches, Jesus Christ gives a commendation. He says something good about the church. And then he gives a condemnation, something where they're lacking, something where there's a problem. There are only two churches that Jesus has no condemnation for at all, only good things to say. The church at Smyrna, the suffering church, the church that was just, all they were doing was holding on for their lives. Jesus had nothing bad to say about them. Then the Philadelphia church, before whom they had, he had set an open door because they had kept his word and had not denied his name. He says nothing bad about them. But he says, because thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. So the only two churches that Jesus does not condemn are a suffering church and a weak church. You know, I never find that formula in the church growth manuals. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because it's about Jesus. It's not about our methodology. Amen? It's about faithfulness. It's not about our methodology. When you get to Laodicea, there are, there's one church that Jesus has nothing good to say about. And that's Laodicea. That's where we are. Laodicea means rights of the people. It's all about me. What's in it for me? How can I get something out of this thing? If you come to my church, we'll give you a pony. We'll wash your car. We'll give you an oil change while you're in the service. Anything to get people to come to the church service. Why? Because Jesus isn't there. Jesus isn't there. I just had a pastor recently tell me that a pastor of an independent Bible-believing Baptist church, he tells me that he's interested in liturgy. He's been reading about liturgy and how it would be good to bring liturgy back into the church. I sat there as long as I could, and I said, wait a minute, you got to understand something. I'm 100% opposed to everything you just said. Do you understand that they are the enemy? Do you know why liturgy is necessary? Do you all know, why, do you know what liturgy is? That's when the, the, the priest or the pastor recites something, and the people recite it back. Do you know why that's necessary? Because there's no Holy Spirit of God dwelling in those people to where they can hear the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit affirms it and settles it in their hearts. That's why liturgy was necessary. We're not told to have liturgy. We're told to preach and teach the Word of God. Amen? Why is it that liturgy is becoming so relevant again in our time? Because look at Revelation chapter 3. And verse 20, here's Jesus Christ. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Because Jesus isn't in the churches anymore. That's what's going on. He's gone. Do you know what that means? They're not saved. Because if you're saved, where's Jesus? He's in you. When we come together, we we bring our relationship that already exists with Jesus Christ. We bring that relationship, we come together, and we worship Him together. That's what happens in the church service. Laodicea, you don't have that. And we as believers in Laodicea have been influenced by the spirit of Laodicea. How? Let's go back. Revelation 3, verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I want you to notice something about the church at Laodicea. He doesn't condemn them for their false doctrine. When you look at the church at Pergamos, you look at the church at Thyatira, you look at the church at Sardis, they are condemned because there is false doctrine that has creeped into the church. That's not the problem at Laodicea. In Laodicea, we have the right doctrinal statement. We have the right positions. We say amen when the preacher says salvation is by grace through faith alone. We just don't really care that much about it. We're lukewarm about it. So when we hear that a preacher preaches another gospel, yeah, but they still love God. They're still doing good. And so, when we stand up and we say that the system that the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, they have another Jesus. That's another gospel. It's a false gospel. We say amen to that. But when we say, Pope John Paul II preached a false gospel. And he is accursed. All of a sudden, there's great discomfort and unease because we have people that we love that are a part of the Roman Catholic system and we don't want to hurt them. Amen? The Bible never tells us to take a person who has been raised in the Jehovah's Witness system and speak evil of them. It tells us we're supposed to love them. The Bible never tells us that we are supposed to say anything evil of a person that's been raised in a false religious system. But notice what the Bible says we are supposed to do about the teacher in the false religious system. I'm going to give you a statement that we've all heard that is very dangerous. Love the sinner, hate the sin. 
Now, that's a great statement. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's true. But let me tell you what that has grown to mean. Love the teacher, hate the teaching. Let's look at the book of Galatians and determine if love the teacher, hate the teaching is a scriptural position. Galatians 1 and verse 6. And we'll determine how much we have been influenced by Laodicea. All right? Galatians chapter 1. Verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. I want you to notice the words, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let that doctrine be accursed. Is that what your Bible says? What does it say? Let him be accursed. What is repetition in the Bible? Verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again. If any, what? Man, preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let that gospel be accursed. Is that what it says? What's it say? Let him be accursed. Look at Titus. Look at Titus. Titus chapter 3 and verse 10. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Now, are you supposed to reject the teaching or the man? Let me ask you again. According to Titus chapter 3 and verse 10, do you reject the teaching or the man? Pastor, you're so hateful. Why can't you just get along with people? A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Why would I reject him? Because I know something. Verse 11, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned, not by me, he's condemned of himself. That's what the Bible says. Why did they hate the Apostle Paul? Why did the Apostle Paul become the enemy of the churches in Galatia? That's the word that's used. Am I now your enemy because I speak the truth to you? Galatians chapter 4. Do you know why they hated Paul? Because Paul only had one thing to offer him. 
Jesus. They weren't interested in Jesus alone anymore. So they no longer had any use for the Apostle Paul. Paul hadn't gone and established a soup kitchen. He hadn't gone and built schools and done all kinds of things. And we're for soup kitchens and schools. Amen? But the Apostle Paul, what he did was he simply preached the unadulterated gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. And they loved him for it. Until somebody came in and perverted it. And once you pervert the gospel, man, those people who have accepted a perverted gospel hate those of us who preach the clear, unadulterated gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone. See, the reason that we can accept false teachers, the reason that we are uncomfortable when someone, when a preacher names by name a false teacher, the reason we're uncomfortable with that is we have imbibed the spirit of Laodicea. We know what the truth is. We're just not going to get too worked up about it. I don't want people to think that we're kooks or something. Isn't that interesting? And you're ready for this? That's why the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write the book of Galatians. Look, man, we don't hate anybody. We don't hate anybody. But do you know what accursed means? It would be better if that man were burning in hell. That's what that means. So, a person that preaches another gospel, it would be better for that person to be in hell than to be preaching the false gospel. That's what the Holy Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to write. Why? Why would the Holy Spirit do that? Because heaven is real. Hell is real. Eternity is real. Sin is real. Life is real. Death is real. There is only one way to heaven. Only one way. There's one name given among men whereby you must be saved. That name is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's a narrow way that leads to life. There's a broad way that leads to destruction, and many there be that find it. There's only one gospel, and then everything else. And I got to tell you, uh, we had, when Lydia was, when did, when did the Reglan thing happen? She was two, maybe? She was, she was sick, and she was vomiting, and she had been vomiting so much that she had started to vomit up blood. We were scared to death, this precious little thing. And so we took her to the hospital, and the doctor gave her Reglan and then to, to stop the, the vomiting and then gave us a dosage to give her hourly or, you know, however many times a day. Well, all of a sudden, she started, we were talking to her, and she'd be looking over here and talking to us. She was having... I think they called them dystonic seizures. And it scared us to death. We took her back to the hospital and we found out that Reglan wasn't approved for a baby. 
And the dosage that we were giving her was 10 times what her body weight was supposed to be. And so I went to the doctor and I said, you meant well. It's okay. And it's okay if you keep prescribing it that way for other people's kids. You're a good man. You're nice. How many of you think that's what I did? <laughs> it's interesting how intolerant we are. I was listening to James Knox. He used, it, he used this illustration. Um, the school principal comes out at the end of the day with the kids. It's a nice day, and it's the first day of school, and, and he wants to see all the kids off. And I've seen that happen. You know, it's, it's, it's a neat thing to see. And so here comes this little girl, and she comes out, and her dad pulls up in the car. He took off early that day to pick up his daughter from first day of school, and she's six years old. First day of school. So dad's there. The child molester who's on the watch list pulls up in the car behind dad and says, come here, little girl. Get in the car with me. I've got toys and candy. Get in the car with me. And the little girl looks at the principal, and the school principal says, Honey, they're both great cars, and they'll both get you where you need to go. Now, how many of you think there's any school principal anywhere in the country that would do that? How many of you think there is one? I don't. Why? Because one is going to take the child to home and safety and love. The other is going to take them to destruction and probably death. No one would say those are both reasonable choices. And yet, because of the influence of Laodicea, we'll look at the pure, unadulterated gospel and those who deliver it. And then we'll look at a false gospel, which could be... You're saved by grace, but you can lose it if you don't keep doing stuff. Galatians 3. Look at it. Galatians 3. O oh, foolish, verse 1, O oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Rhetorical question. Of course, you can only receive the, the, the Spirit by faith. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? And so you've got churches all over the place that it, you, it, it, here's the way that's said. Okay, can I just can I boil it down into very clear terms for you? Let me tell you how it's said. You see someone coming out of a movie theater. And you say to this person. Are you saved? Well, yes, I am. No, you can't be saved. A saved person would never go to a movie. How many of you understand that that's another gospel? There are churches all over America 
all over America where things like that are said all the time. I remember I heard a preacher say one time when I was a teenager that um, a saved girl would never wear red lipstick. You know what that man who said that is? Accursed. See, we want to identify false doctrine as the Mormons. And how many of you understand Mormonism is false doctrine? We don't understand the other Gospels that have crept into Bible-preaching churches. And it doesn't matter if you put the qualification before the receiving of Christ or after. So if I say you've got to stop going to movies so that you can get saved, that's another Gospel. If I say if you go to a movie after you're saved, you must not be saved then what you're saying is there's something other than Jesus Christ that takes you to heaven or keeps you from heaven. That's another gospel. That should be accursed. But we don't care about it because we live in Laodicea. I'm just telling you, there are so many young people across this country that don't want to have anything to do with God because they were told that salvation is something that it is not. Now, this is being recorded. People will hear it, so I've got to say this. How many of you people know here that I think that believers ought to behave differently than unbelievers? You all understand that that is the clear teaching of Scripture? doesn't have anything to do with whether you're saved or not. It has nothing to do with your eternal life. This is why we need the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul understood by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the people in Galatia needed to learn that salvation was by grace through faith. Next Sunday, we're going to look at how was it corrupted? What happened that they were perverted? And why was the Apostle so upset about it? We're going to see that next week. But we need to ask ourselves this question. Number one, are you born again? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? I can't tell you how many Baptists I've said, uh, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Yeah, I do. Why? Because uh, I, I, I got saved when I was young, and I'm a good person. What does being a good person have to do with it? Do you know what that means? That person is probably lost. Uh, I, I heard some, I think it was Dalton Robertson that said, there's a lot more Baptists in Texas than there will be in heaven. Just because a person is a part of a specific church doesn't mean that they have accepted Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. So here's my question to you. Have you trusted Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? Or are you trusting in something else too? No one is good enough to go to heaven. If you could be, then Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. It's by grace alone. So number one, are you saved? Number two, do you care? Serious question. Do you care about the way the gospel is being presented to your loved ones. See, we're not going to go on a crusade against every false teacher in the world. We're not going to do that. But when people come in here, if the Bible is addressing something and a popular teacher is is saying something else, I'm going to tell you what the truth is. And your family needs to hear that. They need to hear it. They need to know that there is a difference between truth and a lie. 
But do you care? Number one, are you saved? Number two, do you care? And number three, do you know the difference between the true gospel and the false gospel? That's why we need to study the book of Galatians. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word.